hi and uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us here and, and at home or wherever you might be. We're in the middle of a three-part series entitled The New People of God. And um, if you haven't caught the last couple of weeks, I commend them to you. Jump online and have a, a watch or a listen. I'll do two things. Most importantly, they'll encourage you. Secondly, they'll give you some context to where we're kicking off from today. So let's get straight into the challenge that Paul was addressing in this letter. Here's our key text for today. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. When I was given that passage to speak on, I decided not to include any visual images. I wondered how I was the lucky one that got 14 words, two of them having to do with delicate matters. Anyway, at the heart of today's message is actually a question, and the question is, what are the requirements for a person to be saved? The issue of the day, amongst others, was whether a person needed to follow Jewish laws and customs to be justified before God, and in particular, did, male, did a male Gentile believer need to undergo circumcision and so Paul's very concerned and with good reason and his answer which you may have already read is a resounding no Paul is away from these new believers he's been with them and he's moved on and others have come in and tried to convince them that they need to be circumcised and to follow the Jewish law and some of these early believers have been caught up in this false teaching. It's got into their understanding and it's twisted and polluted the grace that was preached to them. And so when Paul hears about this, he writes to them and asks them a fundamental question. It's a rhetorical question. He says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Is this a question that we need to revisit in our own lives? If we find ourselves adding to what we first believed? Am I unconsciously applying faith requirements that Jesus never put in place? And am I somehow influencing others to think that same way too? Paul put his concerns more pointedly at the beginning of his letter. If we have a look at Galatians 1.6, it says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. The gospel is no gospel at all, was one that was being peddled by people wanting to bring grace down and elevate religious observances and rules. Why do we do this? I'm not a particularly religious person. I don't go in for gowns and robes and candles and incense and things, and I don't mind those who do, but it's never, it's never really been something that's drawn me in any way closer to God. But why do human beings take something beautiful like the grace of God, something liberating and freeing, 
and try to codify it and set rules around it? Do we get scared that freedom in the life of Christ and through the Spirit of God might be a bit too undefined and loose? Is it that we prefer to have a checklist to justify ourselves rather than trusting Jesus and the hope that He alone justifies us before God? Or to put it bluntly, do we actually believe in the grace of God or not? That's what Paul's challenging these new believers with and I think he's challenging us. There were similar problems in other regions, the polluting of the gospel and the mixing of other ideologies caused confusion amongst the early church. Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians these words, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I wonder what deceptive philosophies are around today. The internet and social media are full of fantastic stuff. You can find anything you need. I got into my car the other day, thanks to Ben and the internet. The battery had gone on the key and he found out how we could get in. But you know, it's equally full of crackpots and lunatics of all varieties. You can dine out on far left or far right, ultra-conservative, ultra-progressive views to your heart's content. Listen to enough of it and there's a chance it'll start to make sense to you, especially if you want it to. But we should take note, even those, and maybe especially those, who claim a faith in Jesus should be examined closely to ensure they're not distorting the truth of the gospel. Are these people that we may be listening to, watching, taking in, adding requirements to faith that take away from the grace of God alone for our salvation? Are they placing burdens on people new to faith that distort the true gospel? We don't have time this morning, but if you go and have a look at Acts 15, you'll see that this issue was discussed and that the very founders of the early church made the claim that they wanted to make it easy for those who were coming to faith, not difficult. Paul also dealt with this issue in his letter to Titus and, and the church in Crete. He said this, for there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're disrupting whole whole households by teaching things they ought not teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. There were so-called believers in the first century that peddled their tripe for dishonest gain and they deceived whole households. Do we think we're in any less likely to have do we think we are any less likely to have a similar situation today? We've experienced about 18 months or so of disruption to our daily lives. And that's meant for many people that we've not been able to meet face to face as we might. And this has given rise to many opportunities 
to tune in to teaching from various sources. And I'm just guessing, but I suspect that some of those out there peddling Jesus for dishonest gain have experienced a bonanza during COVID. I have no doubt with more people at home, with more time on their hands and lacking the interaction and the checking that we get from one another, that they're easy targets for smooth talk. And I suspect that book sales and trinkets and online giving have had a steady uptick. Be careful who we listen to. Check it. If they're preaching a gospel other than one of salvation by faith and grace alone, Paul would urge strong caution and direct action. He had strong words indeed for those forcing people to be circumcised. Listen to this in Galatians 5.12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Kids, young people, that's why you should read your Bible. This is fantastic. Look how bluntly Paul puts it. He's saying, in effect, if you think circumcision is some advantage, why not supercharge that advantage and take the whole lot off? I'm not sure what else I can add to that. It shows his passion for the purity of the gospel message, though. See, Paul knew what it was like to persecute the church. He was far away and the only thing that brought him back was grace. He understood it and he knows the purity of that message and he can't stand by and he wouldn't stand by and watch people dilute or distort it. Look how he described the gospel message to the Colossian church. When you were dead in your sins and in in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins and having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Did you get that? When did grace come? Came while we were still in our sins and for the Gentiles while they were uncircumcised. As a side note, so was Abraham. Genesis 15 to 17, put that on your afternoon reading list after you've helped with the, uh, with the sound deadening devices in here. He was credited with faith before a covenant was made and before circumcision. It was merely an outward sign of something that had already taken place. Back to Colossians, what did that grace look like? Every debt was cancelled. Dead was made alive, condemnation was taken away and nailed to the cross. Understand how beautiful this is and don't add add anything to it. Paul provides a very sobering warning to the new believers in Galatians. He says, mark my words, I I, Paul, tell you, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. No value at all because with circumcision came the law. And we know that nobody has ever been justified by following the law because it's impossible. 
In fact, the law was instituted to point us to grace and our need for that relationship. He goes on to say, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. In effect, if we try to justify ourselves through our religious observance and obedience to the law, we walk all over grace and we fail in our attempt anyway. I wonder where this lands for us. Are we placing burdens on people coming to faith? Do we do it subconsciously? Do we add to the gospel? Do you ever say or think things like this? You can become a believer if you trust in Jesus and stop living with your girlfriend or you can become a believer if you trust Jesus and give money to the church or Jesus but the drug habit will have to change and oh by the way no gambling if you want to get saved and oh you you'll get a sense pretty soon that voting in a particular way or your stance on a particular issue will be a bit of a sign to us that you're getting there And once you've got your life together and it's happy families, you'll get a sense that you're more fully saved. saved. All of that's rubbish. It has nothing to do with what Jesus did for every single broken one of us when he laid down his life on the cross. And Paul jealously defends that truth. So should we. And so we come back to where we started. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. This brings us to the new creation, the thing that counts. Am I renewed by the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Am I forgiven and free? Do I now live by the Spirit of God? It's a very important point to understand right here. God welcomes into his kingdom every single person in whatever state they're in by a simple act of faith, a confession of sin and a trust that Jesus has paid the price, nothing more or nothing less. There are no changes required in a person's behaviour before in their behaviour before or at the time of their salvation. Jesus placed no requirements on the woman at the well or the thief on the cross or the tax collector or the Roman soldier. What counts is the new creation. He rejoices over the prodigal son who returns, the lost sheep, the child who was lost, who comes home. Every single person. There's no religious observant observance or outward works required at the point that we trust Jesus we become a new creation the old is gone the new has come the transforming work of the Holy Spirit renews our hearts and our minds at that point and what counts is a new creation and at that point we are totally free totally forgiven and our eternal destiny is secured and our life as we knew it has been renewed Jesus put it this way so if the sun sets you free 
you'll be free indeed. And that should really settle it. And being set free, being a new creation, means something. There's substance to this transformation and there's learning what it means to live by the Spirit of God. It's a new life. We need help with it. But it's not in observing the law and it's not in finding ways to justify ourselves before God. The freedom we experience in the Spirit leads us into a lifelong walk with God marked by growth in grace. If anything, we should be more and more filled with grace, hope, and joy and love. What counts is the new creation. And as a new creation, we'll see the world differently. We can't help it. We'll act differently. Our motives will change and we'll experience life around us in different ways. And in this, as the Spirit works, we'll see changes. It provides and it produces fruit in us and the fruit of the outworking, the influence and the transformation of the Spirit in our lives sees us experience unexpected levels of joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's how Paul put it. We'll see increases in our generosity, in our understanding in our forgiveness of others and ourselves, in our hope in an, and in our endurance. We'll see less fear. Is that how you would describe the state of your life over the past few months? It's been another winter with some serious restrictions. Have we lived as that new creation during that time? You know, we're not immune from getting dragged back and distracted by things that used to be important or by emerging narratives. Paul, in fact, this letter was a caution about that. And so this morning I really believe that this, this passage, this piece, this message for us is a call to rethink our motives and the things that are occupying our attention are we forming circumcision groups, if you like? Let's not fool ourselves. Over the past few years, there have been many contentious and emotive issues in society and in the church. We've had worldwide debate over the best medical, social and political response to the COVID-19 virus. We've had nation after nation debate the definition of marriage and family. We've had the church deal with matters of sexuality, gender and leadership. We've had the broader social debates over taxation and welfare, immigration, First Nations, education, consent, mental health and so on. Can these emotive issues tempt us into forming circumcision groups, if you like, of our own? Are we feeling even if it's subconsciously, that we need to only gather around those people who see things the way we do. I can tell you now it would be a pretty small group if I did that. I'd have to exclude Mandy and the kids for starters. 
because I know that even in our own family, we see things differently. If we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we'd like everyone to see the world the way we do. Surely people can't be so blind as to see things differently to me. That's what these false teachers were doing. This is what Paul was responding to. They had a false view of this new faith and they were doing their level best to convince others of that. They misunderstood the grace and they wanted others to see the world through their distorted lens. Paul stamped it out there and we can't let it happen here. So here's at least one challenge for us today. Let's ask ourselves, are there any circumcision groups that have captured our attention? Have we unconsciously formed any of our own? Are we placing any demands on people to think or act in a particular way and to attach it to their faith as a sign that they're truly saved or at least proof that they have sound theology if so let's stop it are we looking at particular issues and defining them as relationship breakers or as matters of serious division if we are we can safely assume that they're not from God His desire is for unity. I wonder if you've found yourself listening to this and looking at others, pointing out people forming groups to the exclusion of you and your views, seeing yourself on the outer. If you've just done that, you've missed the whole point but you're like me. Because it's easy to do. It's easy to feel a victim. This is the wrong feeling. Maybe we just take, need to take time to meditate on these words. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Let's not get caught up in the hype an emotion of issues and matters that don't count. Let's remember that precious gift of salvation that we've each been given and not focus on what, de- what, what might divide or distract us, but on what counts, a new creation. Let's be the new people of God together without distortion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we would be dead, helpless, lost, blind, confused, in turmoil without you. There is no doubt of that. Help us to remember where we were and in what desperate need we were of you and of the beautiful grace and gift that you gave us. Let us come back to being that new creation, to understanding that that's what counts. 
that in whatever times we find ourselves and who knows what's ahead that you would look at us and see the new people of God we can only do that by your Holy Spirit at work in our lives and so we pray that you would do that work and that we'd be obedient to you Amen